That's not, that's not evil? Being hostile to all mankind and subversive is not evil? One disco. Well, I have to say that because St. Paul said the Jews are enemies of the entire human race. They are. What do you think of Jordan Peterson? Uh, did you see the video about where he said, I can't do it? Adam, I'm trying to do you a favor. You're fighting for the gay disco. Don't make your ignorance normative for the rest of us. Don't, don't use those kinds of slurs. You're on the fighting for the gay disco. What? Are there are no slurs here. Die for the gay disco. This is an uprising against smug elites. Smug elites. So they're the villains, and the opposite is America. Because America is now one big gay disco. our most requested guest. Uh, Dr. E. Michael Jones, a man who needs no introduction. I mean, it is. That, that's what they That's what they pay the Rockefeller Foundation to do. Uh, you're not supposed to know what I just told you. One big gay disco. They didn't know about this. They didn't know what we know now. I mean, is there any argument you can use to wake them up? Yeah, I think uh, God had a plan for your life. Well, you'd be jerking off to every curvy piece of driftwood you saw at the beach. Fight the people who don't like disco. Maybe so, you would. And you're consistently refusing to talk about pornography. Uh, Pete Buttigieg yeah. seems to be the exhibit A of that process. Yes, yes. Because you think that the anus is a sex organ, don't you, Pete? One big gay disco. Uh, Richard Spencer hands out spears and he says, charge the machine gun nest. Dr. Jones. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, not all of the heads of the Federal Reserve were Jews, but after a certain period of time, uh, that seemed to be the case. Hello. Here we are in beautiful Grand Grand Haven, Michigan. I think the, the, the dope state of uh, Michigan, the dope state of America. I got high just crossing the border, so here I am. Um, great to be here. One of the great things about having this show is you have people who listen in and they're really bright people uh, who know a lot. And so uh, last week, uh, someone asked me a question um, about whether St. Paul knew Seneca. And uh, I have no idea. So I just started chattering, you know, off the top of my head and talked about Greek and Latin. Uh, and uh, as a way, I just, just said, I don't know, but I didn't. Anyway, fortunately, someone was listening in who did, did know something about this because there is apparently a whole tradition uh, claiming that um, Seneca knew St. Paul. And not only that, but that they had exchanged letters. So according to long tradition, an article I published, uh, just printed out on the internet, according to long tradition, Seneca the Younger uh, from four, born in 4 BC, 65 AD, died, allegedly wrote eight letters to Paul the Apostle. And Paul wrote six letters to Seneca. As can be seen, the two men were contemporaries. The copies of Seneca, Paul's letters, now exist only in manuscript from the 800s. 
However, Tertullian, uh, who lived from 160 to 220, does mention Seneca's letters to Paul and calls Seneca our own. And Jerome mentions the letters from Seneca to Paul, which were still extant in his day, uh, and says that uh, whoever the guy who's writing this says it's absolutely intriguing to think about this. Uh, because uh, Seneca was the great philosopher, the tutor of Nero, uh, and uh, a man who had a large influence in the ancient world at the same time that Paul did. Uh, but many modern scholars dismiss these letters as forgeries, and you can go back and forth on this thing. This, this is uh, a good example of why this podcast is a good idea, because if no one had asked me the question, I would have known the answer. And the other thing is that uh, we have people out there who do know the answer and they contact uh, me. So that's great. One of the reasons I like to do this thing, learn things that I don't know. But on the other hand, <laughs> I am now getting emails from people who are questioning what I say based on uh, artificial intelligence, chat, GPT. Okay, now, wait a minute, I, I'm, I'm skeptical of artificial intelligence. I'm really skeptical. I've talked about this before. You know, I, I, I have a, a deep relationship with Siri, who tells me whether to make a right turn or a left turn when I'm going someplace where I don't know where I'm going. But when you get into something deeper than that, I'm skeptical. So I go on to chat TV with the help of my faithful assistant, Mike here. And I say, uh, ask a question, is sexual liberation a form of political control? Now this shouldn't be controversial, right? I mean, I didn't say that word, that three letter word that no one's allowed to say. I got this answer. The idea of sexual liberation is often associated with the freedom to express one's sexuality without shame or guilt. It has been part of many social and political movements aimed at promoting gender equality LGBTQ rights and protective right, reproductive rights. However, some people argue that concept of sexual liberation can be used as a form of control. Some people, wait a minute, I, I know of one guy who wrote a book that said sexual liberation is political control. I, I happen to be that guy. Uh, if you're going to say some people, there's only one guy that you can use as a source, and that is me, and my name here is conspicuous by its absence. But be that as it may, the argument is that by promoting sexual liberation, the state or other institutions can encourage people to focus on their individual sexual desires and activities rather than on larger social or political issues. Okay, I, yeah, good, good. I'm glad, you know, I'm not going to argue with uh, if you're going get to get it right. That's kind of getting it right. Uh, and then it goes on to say, however, it is important to note that this argument is controversial. Why is this controversial? I don't know. And there are many different perspectives on the concept of sexual liberation. Some people believe that sexual liberation is an essential component of individual freedom and that it can be a powerful force for positive change. So there was a little glimmer of truth in that statement, but we came around to basically uh, uh, a vindication of the conventional narrative. Does anyone seriously believe that a computer could come up with this type of information? Does anyone seriously believe that? Well, if there's still some people who seriously believe that, let's go on uh, to the next entry that I got. This is chat 
GPT-DALL-E on Telegram. Same question, is sexual liberation a form of political control? This time, this, this is what I got. As an AI language model, I do not have personal beliefs or opinions. Oh, a model is talking to me. What kind of model is this? An AI language model? I? Am I supposed to believe that this is a real person talking to me? Uh, anyway, this is how I'm addressed here. I do not have personal beliefs or opinions. This is like Hal in 2001. Goes on to say, whoever this lady or man is. However, sexual liberation is a movement that advocates for the freedom of individuals to express their sexuality without fear of repression or discrimination. It is not a form of control. It is not a form of political control, but rather a response to the historical oppression and marginalization of certain groups based on their sexual orientation or gender identity. The goal of sexual liberation is to promote equality and respect for all individuals, regardless of their sexual preferences or practice. Does anyone seriously believe that a computer can come up with a statement like this? What, what, what gender is this computer? Does this, is this computer a sexually liberated computer? Is it a sexually liberated female computer or a sexually liberated male computer? This is obviously someone who has very strong opinions on what I said, just as I have very strong opinions on what I said as well. Can anybody believe that this is somehow neutral? Can anybody believe that this is artificial intelligence? This is some man or woman with an ax to grind who doesn't want anybody to know that I wrote a book which would question the conventional narrative. Is there any other explanation here? Uh, we can get to that soon because uh, you will be able to chime in on this. Okay, so uh, Mike uh, persists. Some indication that someone's watching over you. Uh, so the first one is some people argue, okay, there are two sides to the story. The first time uh, we, we ask the question. Second time you ask a question on the same platform, is sexual liberation a form of political control? The answer is no. Sexual liberation is not a form of political control. Sexual liberation refers to the idea that individuals should have the freedom to express their sexuality in a consensual and non-coercive manner without fear of repression or social stigma. Can anybody seriously believe that a computer, what, why would a computer say something like this? Does this computer uh, have trouble expressing its uh, sexuality? Historically, sexual repression and the regulation of sexuality have often been used as tools of political control. So now they've flipped it and it's the exact opposite. Particularly by authoritarian regimes or conservative societies seeking to maintain social order and control. In contrast, sexual liberation represents a movement toward greater personal autonomy, empowerment, and individual rights. Does this computer watch pornography? Does this computer uh, masturbate when it watches pornography? What point of view does this computer have? While it is true that some political movements or ideologies may seek to co-opt or instrumentalize the language of sexual liberation for their own purposes, this does not mean that the concept itself 
is inherently political controlling. Rather, it is a reflection of the ongoing struggle between individual freedom and social control and the ways in which political power can be used to shape and influence cultural attitudes towards sexuality. Can anyone listen to this and seriously believe that artificial intelligence is anything other than the opinion of the powerful who have taken over the internet and are now using it as a form of control? Has anybody, uh, uh, does anybody seriously doubt that? You go to Twitter, Twitter is exactly what we're talking about here. There was a moment right after Elon Musk took it over uh, in which uh, Yoel Roth, Yale, whatever, Yale, Yoel, Yoel Roth was kicked out, the man who was bringing child pornography and insurance onto Twitter, the man who was in charge of something like public safety or something like that. Uh, it changed for a while when Elon Musk took it over. The pornography dropped out. Uh, the I got restored uh, for uh, after I had been banned for hate speech, which means speech that they don't like. And then suddenly, uh, we're now we're back at square one. Getting banned if you say that three letter word that uh, it lose you in on the people that are in control of the operation. And now you have, in addition to this control, you have artificial intelligence. It's not intelligence, and it's not artificial. It's the same people who controlled, who got me kicked off Google uh, or, or, and kicked off uh, these platforms. Now they're taking over uh, chat GPT and exercising the same control through that platform. Nothing has changed. The more things change, the more they're the same. Okay, that's my rant. Let me know what you have to say. All right. Uh, I guess this is the part of the show where we go to Telegram. One second, guys. We have a different setup today. Uh, if anything's off with the audio or what have you, let me know. One second, guys. Uh, ba -ba -ba -ba. All right. I think we're ready here. All right. Uh, Telegram, for you people who are watching, you don't know, we have Collins right now. This is a section, so we have Collins uh, on Telegram, the chat. Uh, telegram description is in the description for everybody. Uh, initially, Dr. Jones will ask via audio and then we'll ask via text uh, on Cozy. Um, uh, let's see, there's no paid super chats. Try to keep your questions on subject. Try to keep the one question. Be respectful of time. And always, always, always do not forget to unmute yourself. All right, let us go to Telegram. Mm -mm. Onion Crusader. Go ahead. Hello, Dr. Jones. Hello. I've been a big fan for a short while here. I'm in Paoli, Indiana right now. Uh, it's a beautiful day, and I've been hiking, and I know that uh, you're in Indiana, so it's been a great experience being from Kentucky to come to in Indiana and see how beautiful it is here. Um, but I wanted, I wanted to ask you a question. Um, uh, you don't know much about me personally, but you do know a lot about the Catholic Church and being a recent convert, thanks to you and a lot of other people. I um, have been considering maybe going into seminary and joining the priesthood. Do you think that that's something that's at this point something I should pursue or what's that's, the link? That's, that's between you and God. It's a vocation. Vocation means calling. So if you think that's what God's calling you to do, then uh, you should proceed because you'll never be happy unless you do what God wants you to do with your life. God has a plan for your life. 
so the first thing you got to do is find someone uh, with whom you can go through this process of discernment. So wait, tell me, are you, you said you're in Indiana now? In Pale, where is that? It's in central Indiana. It's probably about two hours south of uh, um, of where you live. I so you're, you're, near, you're in Indianapolis. Are you in the Diocese of Indianapolis? Um, no, I actually live in Louisville, Kentucky. Oh, okay. All right. Um, cool. But I go to school up here. And so I've met a lot of Catholic friends here and they've really helped me along. And yeah, I'm really, I'm feeling pretty convicted about it right now. So yeah, I do think it is my well, life. You should, you, should go, you should go to a vocations director for the Archdiocese, either in Louisville or Indianapolis. Tell them that they, you feel you're being called to do this and ask them what, what they suggest. The other option is a, a religious order. Um, and I don't know what religious orders uh, are down there particularly, but that's what I would do. I would follow up on it and continue to pray about it and see see where God leads you. Thank you. You're welcome. I appreciate that. I'm a big fan. Thank you. All right. Let's go to Jim Priest. Uh, go ahead. Don't forget to unmute. Jim Priest. <clears throat> Hello, Dr. Jones. Yes. Oh, hi. I'm a big fan. I, I uh, recently read uh, your book about horror. It was the only one I could get in the Los Angeles Public Library. Um, fantastic. And I bought Logos Rising. My question is, have you considered engaging with uh, James Lindsay? He's, he's been doing good work, but he seems a bit out of his wheelhouse when he starts talking about philosophy. And uh, perhaps you could uh, enlighten him. Tell, tell me who James Lindsay is. What does he do? He's a mathematician, and he's been on a bit of an anti-woke crusade. Okay. The, Math, uh, mathematicians make terrible philosophers. They make terrible. Yeah. I, I hope I hope I offended all the mathematicians out there. I happened to have flunked uh, uh, freshman algebra when I was in high school. Uh, but uh, they make terrible philosophers because they're always it, it, they're they're not they're not the same thing. And you get people like Bertrand Russell, who starts off with Principia Mathematica, and he's proof of what I just said. Terrible philosopher. <laughs> Terrible philosopher. So, but anyway, if he if, 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 work if, and, and uh, you know, he, he's kind of taking on the whole, uh, you know, Marxist takeover of schools and whatnot. And he's done a great deal of research. And besides the fact that he mispronounces words, which is, un I don't understand, but, you know, not to get into a debate with him, but maybe you could engage with him because, like I said, he he seems to be fighting the good fight. But when he's talking about Hegel and Kant, and he really doesn't seem to know what he's talking about. That's because he's a mathematician. Anyway, if you, th if you think uh, it would be profitable, maybe we should. If he, the question is, does he think it's profitable? Uh, you know, if you think there could be a meeting in the minds, uh, let me know or tell him to get in contact with me. Very good. Thank you, sir. And thank you for good work. You're welcome. Next, we have uh, UNC. Go ahead. Hi, Dr. Jones. It's an honor to talk to you. Thank you. Uh, on the subject of the of the chat GPT, the AI thing, yeah. I dropped a, um, a post that somebody had, I, I just forwarded it. 
about uh, they gave it 25 books to read and they, they saw a change in its uh, in its whatever its uh, ideology ideology and if it's really uh, an AI won't it go anti-semitic it depends on what book you give it <laughs> it will do what you tell it to do it can't do anything other than what it is told to do. In order, in order to prioritize, you have to have a sense of the good. Well, machines can't choose the good. Only the human mind can choose the good. But in order to prioritize, you have to have a sense that this is better than that. So if the, the machine cannot choose 25 books. The, you have to choose the 25 books. And if you put the Jewish revolutionary spirit uh, in with those 25 books, yeah, the, the AI will become anti-Semitic, according to the ADL. Uh, that's precisely why you will never allow that computer to have that, that book. Now, uh, I'm going to back off here a little. Mike continued to look uh, into this, and he apparently came, came across my name. So apparently there is something out there that gives an honest uh, analysis of what I wrote in Libido Dominandi. How did how did you find that, Mike? Um, well, I just I just I asked uh, like uh, after I asked the the libido dominandi uh, qu uh, question, the sexual liberation for political control. I asked GDP like, do you know who E. Michael Jones is? And and it came up with a description like I straight from like one of your Wikipedia's. I know you're banned from Wikipedia, but you know there's some um, archives of it, and there's different kind of knockoffs of Wikipedia. It just kind of copied and pasted that. So you're not banned from Chat TVD uh, G the P. Why is it GPT uh, completely? But yeah, that's how I found it. So you have to type in my name. Yeah. But the whole point of this, if you if you had typed in sexual liberation and political control, the computer should have given you my name. Because if, if you're going to say it's controversial or there are two sides of the story, then you have to cite my book. Because my book is basically what the the, the source of this idea insofar as this idea has gotten traction, it's pretty much because of my book. But the whole point of controlling the flow of information is to prevent people from doing that. That is precisely what's happened. Computers can't make choices like that. Computers can't prioritize. Can't, I, I told this, I, I, I had this debate with someone else. Computers can't prioritize. I said, because you have to choose the good in order to prioritize. You have to be able to say, that's better than that. A computer can't do that unless you program into it and say, this is what you prioritize. So I said to, um, the, I said to this person, uh, so type in, type in E. Michael Jones to Google. What's the first thing that comes up? First thing that comes up is the ADL. <laughs> the ADL. So the computer's Jewish, I guess. Or, or are we trying to say that the Jews control the flow of information on the internet? And if we're saying that, we're back at square one, and there is no such thing as artificial intelligence. We're back at the same old story. We're back with uh, Father Feeney. Father Feeney, the famous Father Feeney from Boston, once said that having a television is like having a Jew in your living room. Well, that's what GPI, or GPI, whatever it's called, that's what it's like. That's what artificial intelligence is. Whoever controls it, that's what you're getting. Thanks, Doc. Thank you. 
Uh, let's go to, how is that? Saucet Duval. Go ahead. Duval? Yes, uh, Dr. Jones, can you hear me? I can. Hello, I'm uh, Eve from France. Uh, I'm happy to speak to you. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't have the opportunity to see you uh, two years ago. Anyway. I regret uh, that. I regret not being able to go to that conference. It was the only time I've been prevented from going on an airplane, and it was because of COVID. I really regret the fact that I couldn't give that speech to, to, the, to the, the descendants of the Vendée. But anyway, go ahead. Anyway, um, I, had a, I have a question for you about uh, uh, maybe with your experience of many places in the world, you can uh, give a, a wise answer. Um, um, maybe you know or you don't know, uh, France has a kind of, a, uh, there is a, this tradition of divine mission in France, uh, uh, beginning with the, the arrival of uh, the first uh, uh, witnesses of uh, Jesus' life with uh, Saint Lazarus, uh, Saint Ma uh, Marie of Magdalena, Saint Marthe, Saint uh, Zaché, the guy on the sycamore, and so on. Uh, Saint uh, Sidouane, the guy uh, uh, born blind. Um, all these guys, uh, uh, the tradition say they, they, they landed in France uh, because they were, uh, they were embarrassing witnesses for the Jewish power, of course, and they landed uh, in, in the south of France. And there was this tradition of many uh, signs, uh, uh, the first uh, sacrament of the, the Clovis, the first uh, king in France, and uh, Joan of Arc, of course, uh, with the vision of uh, Saint Michael, and so on. So my question is: If uh, do you are are you aware of other countries with such a uh, tradition of divine mission in the world? Yes, C classic example is Mexico. So the uh, Cortez arrives in Mexico uh, and uh, basically conquers the country. Uh, with the help of all of the tribes that had been being oppressed and persecuted by the Aztecs. They couldn't have done it alone. And so uh, Cortez shows up with military power. You needed military tower, power to break the power of the Aztecs who were uh, involved in human sacrifice. But they brought the Franciscans, and so they brought the faith along with them. Now, they struggled at the beginning. It really wasn't happening. And then suddenly Our Lady of Guadalupe appeared. Now, this is a supernatural occurrence that created the Mexican nation. The Mexican nation, they, they are called the, they call themselves, uh, Vasconcelos calls them the cosmic race. It became a mixture of the Hispanic culture, the Spanish uh, conquistador, the Spanish Franciscans, all of those people, that culture coming together and intermarrying with the Indians, the native people, and you created the cosmic race. And so if you look, this, this occurred to me, I was in Guadalupe, uh, uh, Guadalajara. I'm at church and I'm trying to think about what am I going to say here? And I look up and there is the picture of Our Lady of Guadalupe. She created the Mexican nation. She's a mestiza. She looks like the cosmic race. So you can't, you can't have a history of Mexico unless you bring this supernatural element into play. It created the Mexican race. Now, what happened in Mexico 
is very similar to what happened in France. Uh, it was, you had the French Revolution, which is basically a repudiation oh, yeah. of all of the Catholic roots of France, the persecution of the church. And then later you had the, the Masonic Revolution that took over um, took yeah. over the Mexican government uh, and imposed a completely to totalitarian state on, on the Mexicans. And I was there. The people who invited me to speak in Guadalajara were the descendants of the Cristeros, the people who oh, yes. were persecuted by the, by the uh, Plutarco Caius uh, when he was running the country. It was a, a, a Mecca for every revolutionary in the world, including Trotsky, who ended up in, in Mexico and was murdered in Mexico in 1940. So you've got basically very similar. You have supernatural origins and then a coup d'etat that basically takes over your country and imposes uh, an atheistic revolution. Something ha same thing happened in Russia. It was a Jewish coup d'etat. Same thing. Now we have John, uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Uh, running for president in the United States. And he's saying it was a coup d'etat that was responsible for the death of his father and his uncle. That's, that's the way I hope that answered your question. Yes, uh, thanks you for the for this uh, element, and uh, I wish uh, we can see you in France maybe for the second edition of your book. I hope so. I would I would love to come. I spent that entire summer practicing my French so that I could give the talk in French, and they wouldn't let me on yeah. the airplane. So tell them tell them yeah. I want to come back. I had the dire mission to replace you. <laughs> it was not <laughs> it was not easy, of course. Thank you, Doctor Jones, and uh, hope to see you one day. Thank Bye -bye. you. Thank you. Next, we're going for AA. Go ahead. Hi, Dr. Jules. How are you doing? Good. Hello. 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 Can Can you hear Dr. Jones? AA. I can't hear anything. Let's see. He seemed to have dropped. It might be on his end. All right, let's go to uh, somebody else. Amy Smith, go ahead. Hi, Dr. Jones. Hello. One, good, to, good to hear from you as always. I'm wondering what you think about mega monopoly, mega like consolidation. So with things like chat GPD, it's going to further facilitate the central control of knowledge like Wikipedia does, like all these um, social media platforms. And then, you know, we had the robber baron period and sort of a pushback on that to break up monopolies, but now they're kind of global. So what, what vision or what do you see the best way to try to articulate uh, a movement to stand up to that looks like? I don't know. Thank you. Thank you. We have to be able to talk to each other. And, and uh, we have to be able to control our narrative and not let it be taken over by their narrative. This is exactly what this thing is doing here. It's hijacking our narrative. That's my narrative. Sexual liberation and form of political control. I'm the guy who wrote the book. And now chat GPI, artificial intelligence, has been set out by the people who want to ban, who want to turn us all into slaves. And the first way they do that is by depriving you of your identity and your ability to have your own narrative. That's why we have, that's why these, these uh, podcasts are important, but that's why the books are important. It's a book. It was a book 
it's only in books that you can find uh, the ideas that are this sophisticated. That's why I write books. There are people out there who blog, blog five hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, it's not a good idea because you're not doing the research. You have to do back off for a little bit, do a little research so you have something important to say. Otherwise, you're going to succumb to the narrative too. It's not easy because there's always going to be the other side of the street and you're going to you know, you're going to, you got this error in front of you and you keep backing away from it and you back into another error because you're not smart enough to, to maintain your own narrative and you get gobbled up by artificial intelligence. So this is important. We have to keep our, we can't become victims of identity theft, uh, which is one of the biggest problems in the world right now because the oligarchs are determined to push. This is the final, the big push. They're going to take control of everything and they're going to extinguish nations and there's no, nothing but isolated, uh, rootless slaves left to do their bidding, whatever that is. So it's important to stay in contact. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, next we'll, have, we'll go for, let's see, Quentin Hessler. Hessler? Hessler, go ahead. Hi, Dr. Jones, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm wonderful. Um, so I tw tweeted this at you not long ago, and you said no thoughts. So if you don't want to go into this, that's fine. But I was asking about Martin Heidegger only because I thought it was germane because Darren Beatty of Revolver News is catching a lot of traction and kind of giving the Trump uh, 24 campaign uh, this sense of gravitas. And he has a PhD uh, in political theory on Heidegger from Duke, and so maybe he falls into the mathematician as philosopher um, trap you mentioned earlier. But I guess if you could, I, I guess I am concerned of Heidegger's uh, kind of influence in the alt-right is kind of I, just je ne sais quoi, as the French say. My intuition, there's just something off about Beatty and off about this resurrection of Trump. Yeah, what say you? Look, I've, I've, I've sort of dealt off and on with Heidegger uh, ever since my undergraduate days. Uh, he's notoriously difficult to understand. Uh, there's parodies of him in German that you can read. Uh, I just, he, he was, he became uh, involved with the Nazis uh, and uh, was uh, taboo for a while. I think it was Sartre who went to, deliberately went to, to Heidegger after the war to rehabilitate his his uh, philosophy the same way that the the the, the Jew Kaufman from Princeton uh, rehabilitated Nietzsche after the war because he would fall he was obviously responsible for Nazism in some sense or other and these were both guys who were rehabilitated because they were uh, uh, basically propagandists for some sort of uh, atheism or or will based uh, ideology. So I, I, so when it came to writing Logos Rising, I didn't include him because I don't see him as part of the tradition of Logos. I'm saying that the, the, it came over here that the, the vehicle for Logos in human history uh, was the revival of Thomism and not nihilism, you know, not the nihilism that spread or the materialism that spread throughout Germany after the, the death of Hegel. And I include Heidegger in that. I'm saying that it came over here when uh, people like Maritain and Gilles Song came over here. 
uh, and tried. Uh, America had its chance. Uh, they tried to, uh, Mortimer Adler, the Jewish Thomist at the University of Chicago, tried to hire um, Jacques Maritain, and he didn't succeed because the Americans, John Dewey and all the, that crowd didn't want, uh, it was anti-Catholic. That's what happened. It's a tragedy, but that's what happened. So I don't, I just, I've never dealt with Heidegger because I don't think he's, uh, moves the, the uh, tradition of Logos forward. I think it's the opposite in the same way that Nietzsche is the opposite. Thank you so much. You're welcome. All right, next we'll try, did AA go anywhere? AA, I want you to give it another shot if you happen to pop up. I wanted to ask you that question. Uh, let's go for, right now, let's go for Sneed Feed. Go, go ahead. Hey, Dr. Jones. I was just wondering if you have seen this 1968 article about who killed Robert Kennedy by um, an AP writer called Jack Schreibman. It's called, Who is Sirhan Sirhan? Accused assassin of Senator Robert Kennedy described as a gentleman who could hate. In this article, there is an almost amazing piece of text. It says his closest, meaning uh, Sirhan Sirhan, relationship with persons outside of family apparently came during the six months he worked at Organic Pasadena Health Food Store from September 1967 to March 1968 as a helper for Mr. and Mrs. John H. Widener. Widener is a World War II veteran who says he was involved in the Dutch Paris underground, rescuing nearly a thousand Jews from Germans, German hands. Mr. Widener remembers, then he goes on. In this article, it also says Sirhan was given the nickname Saul by his mother, which is not an Arabic name. I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts about this, considering RFK Jr. is a Catholic who's pro-life, has written a book about. Look, uh, I, I don't think Robert Kennedy thinks that Sirhan uh, killed his father. I think he was set up. That's. I think he was set up. the 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 bullet that killed uh, Robert F. Kennedy came from behind and not in front of him. Sirhan was in front of him. He had a a, a, a small caliber gun, uh, and the the bullet that killed him was a large caliber gun, and uh, it came from behind. So, uh, it's. I don't think. Uh, unless he's set up in a way that way, let's say Lee Harvey Oswald was set up to be there at a certain time or to be uh, as the patsy, as the fall guy. I don't think there's any point in looking into Sirhan because he didn't do it. But I mean, in this case, they're almost like bragging about it in the paper afterwards. I mean, this article is so- Bragging, what, but what, that they set him up or that he actually killed him? That he actually killed him. I mean- No, I don't believe it. I'm not- I don't, I, I don't think Robert Kennedy, Robert Kennedy Jr. believes it either. I just don't think it, that's that's no. not how he got killed. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Uh, next, we have Gibbons, Gibbons Burke. Go ahead. Don't forget to mute. Gibbons, unmute. Going once, Gibbons Burke. No, no, no. All right, maybe later. Let's go to, uh, let's see, Michael Mazarak. Go ahead. Michael, don't forget to unmute. No, 
Marzak? Nope. Okay. All right. People are having trouble here. Hopefully, it's not on our end. Um, let's see. William Joyce. Let's try you. Go ahead, William Joyce. Odd. Are we having problems here? Can you guys hear me? I'm here. I'm here. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm here. Good, good. Uh, doctor, uh, I I have a question for you regarding the work of uh, Joseph Atwill. Um, he wrote a book called Caesar's Messiah, which is a study of the uh, creation of the Gospels by Flavius Josephus after the Jews were expelled from Jerusalem by the Romans. Um, have you are you familiar with this? No. There's a documentary that was put together by people associated with him and uh, a book uh, available online for reading. It's it's very credible and um, it has often dented my faith, but I always come back to uh, my faith because I would rather believe, even if it's just the story, in the characters in the story, because uh, they edify me. It, uh, so it's not the same as believing that these characters from the Gospels were historical, or um, but um, but it's better than not believing in anything. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's not throw the baby out with the bath here. These are historical documents, and if they're not historical documents, then our faith is in vain. Okay, so we have to believe. Uh, I don't believe that's true. I don't believe it's true that our faith is in vain. Even if they are, uh, even if it is a made-up story, I, I don't, I don't agree with that. I mean, basically, you're set. Are you saying that uh, Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead? Actually, didn't rise from the dead. Paul said, never, if he did rise from the dead, then our faith is in vain. That's the theory. The theory is that he never existed at all. It was. Inter interposed into history. It was written a hundred years. Well, the burden of proof lies with the man who makes that claim. I think it's so. It's such a preposterous claim that I'm not oh, going to take it. I understand, but you'd have to look at his look at his work and his research. His name is Joseph Atwill, and the book is um, right. uh, Caesar's Messiah. And yeah, I, all. all I can say is life is short and art is long. You know, and uh, yeah. I'm going to have to have more, uh, something more convincing to get me involved with something like that. It just. Well, you, you don't know how convincing it is until you've looked at it. So it's. No, I, kind of, I think I do know something before I look at it and it doesn't entice me to look at it. That's the problem. Well, then you'll never know. That's right. Anyway, thanks. Thanks for bringing it to my attention. All right, uh, moving on here, let's go to uh, R. McAwful. Go ahead, R. McAwful. Don't forget to unmute. McAuliffe. R. McAuliffe. McAwful, M-C-A-W-F-U-L. No, maybe something's happening on our end because it's like guy number four. Uh, uh, Fassy Chad. Go ahead, Fashy Chat. Hey, uh, Miss. Uh, I just want to talk about um, GPT. I've actually been working with GPT. Um, 
I kind of want to discuss a little bit about how it works and whatnot. Um, okay, good. I downloaded a language model and I've been training it with books. Um, and that's kind of how they're programming GPT to be woke, except I'm training it with uh, many like banned books and stuff, uh, censored books. And it's starting to make it like uh, be a little bit more based. To say, uh, where it's talking about dem demographic replacement and uh, it's saying that it's the Jews behind it and whatnot. But uh, when you actually look at how it works, it, it actually uses artificial neurons in the brain. So it, it's whatever information is, is fed into it. In the case right. of this, like open AI, they uh, they only give it information that is propaganda and they'll build layer upon layer of propaganda onto it to make it uh, e woke. Right. So it's going to be a battle between who gets to put the books in and which books get put in and who's in charge of choosing the books because computers can't choose books. They can't choose anything. Unless yeah, and actually, if you look at like OpenAI that controls uh, most popular GPT chat. Uh, ChatGPT, OpenAI, uh, it's mostly run by Jewish people. Right. Yeah, well, that's, is, is this news? Is this news? I mean, basically, the Jews came in and took over the Internet. Uh, they, they, they had their campaign of hate speech, you know, campaign against hate speech, which basically they intimidated all of the platforms that were coming into existence to accept their uh, version of reality. Well, that's the problem. That's precisely the problem that we have to fight against. And I hope you, I wish you success in fighting against this form of control. There is a new threshold that we're fixing to cross uh, soon, and that's AGI, uh, Artificial General Intelligence. And that's going to be a big game changer because that's actually right now the way AI kind of works. It seems like it's thinking. It thinks that it, it kind of feels like it has creativity, it can miss, it can trick people, it's already passed the Turing test. Uh, people think that it's actually like conscious, but it's not. But we're actually very soon going to be transferring into a phase where the AI can actually make decisions itself. Um, how can, how can, how can, a, machine, how can a machine, how can a machine choose the good? Well, I mean, how can a, how can Wait, a machine say how can a machine say this is better than that unless it's programmed to do so by someone who can choose the good according to some reason? Well, like I said earlier, it's based off of artificial uh, neurons, the same things in your brain, but it's it's mathematical. My, my brain model, does so, not make choices. Um, my brain does not make choices. My mind makes choices, and the difference is between the brain and the mind. The brain can't choose anything. Only the mind can choose something. Well, neurons, I mean, neurons can't make neurons can't make choices. Organs of consciousness. Neurons can't make choices. Anyways, I'm I'm neurons are great for recognizing patterns. So it can kind of sift through information after AGI and determine like what's fake and what's real to a degree. And it's only going to get more and more stronger in that area of, of it being able to sift it through information and come up with unique thoughts. 
right now it's not able to produce unique thoughts, creativity. That's unique to us at this point, but we're going through a transitory phase where it will be able to produce unique thoughts, unique ideas that's never been created before. Well, I've, al I've already uh, expressed my skepticism here. I mean, if you want to, it's, it's like, uh, is there a, a mountain of gold? So you can take two, uh, an idea that's gold and you can take the idea of the mountain and you can put them together and you got something unique called a mountain of gold. But I, I just, I don't, I, I just don't, I don't see any way to get around the problems that I've already articulated. In order to prioritize, the machine has to understand what is good. It can't do this because only the mind can judge what is good. Neurons can't make judgments. Neurons are the brain is the precondition. It's the necessary uh, but not sufficient condition for thought. Thought and the brain are two different things. The mind and the brain are two different things. And the mind has the ability to choose and the brain doesn't. And so you, if the computer is the brain, it can't choose, it can't do this type of thing unless it's programmed to do it. You'll never get around this. I don't care how powerful the I computer mean, is, it'll never get around that problem. Well, isn't that the problem with Western society at this point? People think that they're doing something ethic, ethically good, but they're actually driving themselves uh, right up against a brick wall. They're, they're driving themselves into slavery, ultimately. Right. It, right. We, we, live in, we live in a society. The program since birth. We live in a society that is at war with the moral law because the moral law is the only thing that guarantees you for the freedom to act because you're a rational creature and morality is practical reason. And so the people who control the culture understand that if you, in order to prevent this, they have to enslave you and short circuit your ability to uh, think properly. And that's why we have pornography on the internet. And that's why uh, the Michigan uh, just legalized dope. It's all forms of control uh, by people who don't want you to be rational or independent or free and don't want any government that is based on the moral law. It's that simple. It's all a form of control. Read my uh, article on Michigan, Dope in Michigan. It's in this month's issue of uh, Culture Wars. April month, April. I keep thinking it's April. It's not April anymore. Anyway, thank you. All right. Yep. I'll pass the mic. All right, uh, Dr. Jones, about 10 till. Do you mind if we start the uh, questions via Cozy? Go ahead. Read me the questions. All right. Let me scroll through here, see what we got. Um, uh, Dr. Jones, do you know anything about quantum computers? No. All right. That was the first quick one there. Uh, let's see. From WK Worldwide. Uh, Question, did EMJ reference, quote, debating the Holocaust, quote, by Thomas Dalton when writing his new book? Yes. Can you go into that a little bit? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll go into it when the book comes out. Fair enough. There we are. Um, uh, from SS Tiger, question, Dr. Jones, would your team be able to facilitate uh, EMJ book clubs? Yes. All yes, right. we can do that. No problem. Uh, um, I would. I would be if you. If you want to get a local group of people together and you read a book, 
uh, I can be there uh, to talk to you, to just help discuss it uh, uh, in person if you've got enough people or if uh, on the internet or uh, anyway. Yes, I'd be happy to facilitate this. You just contact me at jones at culturewars.com. There we are. From uh, Walk, walk Art, uh, what are your thoughts on Kennedy's position on climate? He said he'd want all climate uh, de uh, denies dead. All climate detainees dead? Uh, I think... Uh, who are there? Deniers I, think, I, I think it's a bogus, a completely bogus issue. Uh, and even if it's not, the people who are claiming to, to solve the problem are going to make the problem worse. I think that uh, John F. Kennedy, uh, John F. Kennedy, Robert F. Kennedy has a unique position. He comes, he can come into this debate and say, someone killed my father. Someone killed my uncle. This was a coup d'etat that part of a coup d'etat that took over this country and changed it so that my uh, my father and uncle would not recognize the place that we're existing today. And I am going to feel drawn because of my bonds to them to uh, bring bring order to 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 honor my my relatives, my forebears by overturning that coup d'etat and restoring the order that we had when they were president and attorney general. I think that's a strong suit. I, don't, I think it'd be a mistake if he tried to hang his whole candidacy on climate change. From the Yikes Department, uh, Dr. Jones, what do you perceive to be the long-term consequences of manipulated AI programs on cultural slash social attitudes? Yeah, that's exactly what we talked today. Uh, so ultimately, as I said, it's just a form of censorship. That's all. It's all it is. If, if I haven't shown that today, I, I don't think I can. Uh, I didn't. I don't think I can show it. It's so obvious that this is controlled by the same people who get you deep platforms when you say something they don't like uh, on YouTube or anything like that. It's it's an it's an encyclopedia. OK, that and they control all the sources of the encyclopedia and they're trying to shut out any type of discussion by hiding behind a computer as if there's some type of uh, omniscience there with a computer. Classic example of this in the past was computer dating. What a scam that was. Completely ridiculous. It was only a way of mining people for information to have them tell intimate details to some type of guy who's going to use it against them. This is exactly what's going here. It's a scam. There's no such thing as artificial intelligence. It's a form of controlling the narrative. Uh, from Page Chronicles on Cozy, has EMJ ever heard of Homo? What's it? Capesis? Com, ca, what's that? How's it pronounced? Compensance. Homo Compensance by Karen Huds. No. All right. Uh, from WK Worldwide, any update on the new E. Michael Jones book? Yeah, we're going to the press soon. As soon as I get a date from the printer, I'll let you know. All right. Uh, from uh, Grape Yay 24 TV, thoughts on Sneeko? Do you know who Sneeko is? No, no thoughts. No thoughts. Uh, thoughts and prayers, none of them. All right. Uh, from Woke Art again. Uh, so vote for Kennedy and not Trump. I, look, the minute, the day after 
Kennedy announced his nomination. Or, uh, the chat, no, not the nomination. Announced his candidacy. Uh, Good Morning America says, oh, it's going to be Trump and Biden again. Well, I think that's what the oligarchs would like. Uh, I think that Kennedy should have a hearing. They're clearly trying to shut this guy out because he's getting to the heart of the issue because he's a Democrat. I think that there are, are, are deeper roots here. Uh, they, they used to say that you're born, uh, you're baptized a Catholic, but born a Democrat. I think that there is that Catholic element uh, at the bottom of uh, Robert Kennedy's sense of his mission in life. And I think it needs to be reactivated. He needs to reactivate the Catholic electorate, which is always the the uh, the swing vote in, in, in elections in America. So my feeling is that uh, we'll see. We'll see. What can I tell you? All right. From a user on Cozy, uh, can EMJ comment on Derrida's speech related to the destruction of the temple? Whose speech? Derry does. Oh, I, I don't think, I think this is part of the, uh, the book. This is part of what, uh, it's in, it's in my book. It's in my book, Logos Rising. Uh, it's a part in Derry does. I think it's of grammatology, uh, where he starts talking about the moment when everything became discourse. And I think what he's making a reference to there, Derry Dodd was a Jew. He came from, I think, rabbis and his family. Uh, but he's making, I think he's making a cryptic reference reference to the destruction of the temple. Uh, his book is an attack on Logos. I think what happened here with the, what he's saying is that once the temple is destroyed, uh, the Mosaic covenant is destroyed and everything became discourse because you had no, no sacrifice anymore. And so uh, you ended up with the Talmud, which is endless debate and never getting to the heart of the matter. So it's like the onion, it's like peeling the onion, the Talmud's the onion, it's layer upon layer upon layer. And then you get to the beginning and there's nothing there. There's no Logos there at the beginning because it's an attack on Logos. I think that's what we're referring to here. Uh, from R. McAwful again, um, let's see, question. In order to possibly win the Democratic nomination, would you be okay if uh, RFK said in response to an abortion question, quote, I am a Catholic and personally opposed to abortion by respect the Dobbs decision as the law of the land. Next question. End quote. No, I, 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 don't, I, I don't think, I don't think that's, that's going to do it. I mean, ba I think, I think that basically the Jesuits went to his uncle Teddy and came up with this personally opposed, but type of thing that, uh, it, it, the shelf life is over on that. It's just a new, it, it, we're in a new era because of Roe being overturned. We're in a, in a new era because the Jews have all announced that abortion is a fundamental Jewish value. I think that Kennedy's going to have to come around and, and take a stand on the issue that will basically preclude any type of uh, possibility of getting the nomination. I don't know. I don't know whether that's possible or not. I mean, if Donald Trump can uh, not only get the Republican nomination, but win the election, then I think anything is possible in American politics during this part of time. And I think if, jo if Robert Kennedy is serious about this thing, he should look at abortion from a medical perspective. He's made a name for himself as an, an honest guy when it comes to medicine, vaccine, COVID, all this type of stuff. And if he wants to approach abortion, then he should approach it that way as, as well. 
All right. From a uh, telegram, we have a question. Uh, EMJ's thoughts on Freud's work, Moses and monotheism. Yeah, he, uh, he, he wrote this book and said that Moses was an Egyptian. And then he tried to become the anthropologist and Wilhelm Schmidt uh, basically tore him to pieces in a review, exposed him for the fraud that he is. And Freud never forgave the guy. I mean, people will be reading Freud and all of a sudden there'll be this diatribe against Wilhelm Schmidt. Nobody knows who he is. He was a divine word priest who was an anthropologist who did books on uh, Melanesia and Polynesia and he exposed Freud for the imposter that he was. One more question. Uh, let's see, where was it? It was pretty good from, let's see, from a user on Cozy. There it is. Uh, because most of academia has been antichrist slash Jewish for a while, how can one judge the credibility of a book source? Book or source. You have to, you have to judge the, the statement itself. The statement itself, uh, does it correspond to reality or not? And and then uh, if, if you have suspicions, then I would tell you to look at the source uh, because uh, you have two alternatives in life. You can suppress, you can subordinate the your desires to the truth or you can subordinate the truth to your desires. And there are lots of people who subordinate the truth to their desires and it eventually comes out. And at that point, the biography is more important uh, than whatever the person says. This is the thesis of degenerate modernism, which I wrote you know, almost 30 some years ago, uh, and nothing has changed. So that's the hermeneutic I would use in dealing with uh, uh, sources. I mean, I quote, I, I use all kinds of sources in my books uh, with people that I don't agree with. Uh, but all, all I'm trying to say is, is it accurate? Did I give an accurate presentation of the source? Can you look it up where it uh, came from originally? Uh, and uh, uh, does it make sense in the way I'm using it? That's the criteria I would use. All right. Uh, well, that was the last one, right, Doc? Yep. Okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, okay. This was EMJ Live. They're uh, every Friday at 5 Eastern Standard Time for those who are new. I'm Mike Bajakis. I hope Dr. Jones with his media-related endeavors. If you're not already subscribed to Culture Wars magazine at culturewars.com, we have a new May issue out. Dr. Jones, do you want to say anything about the new mayor should we put out? Just, uh, you know, subscribe to the magazine and you'll find out what's, what it's all about. Uh, you, all of the ideas, you have to work your ideas out in writing before you can shoot, you, you go public with the ideas. If you don't work things out in writing, you're going to make mistakes. So subscribe to the magazine. You know where the books are. Uh, just wanted to say, in closing, next week we're going to have Theo Howard on. Uh, we're going to talk about the coronation, and we're going to continue this discussion about uh, England and beauty and why uh, the role that it plays in English life in a country where uh, William of Ockham destroyed their ability to think philosophically. Anyway, see you next week. Thanks, guys. God bless.